This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. And now, from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is the CMO Spotlight. With insight from top executives on how to address the key challenges facing the business world and the marketing industry. Here are your hosts, Catherine Hayes and Jenny Rooney. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the CMO Spotlight. Great to have you all with us today. Um, As always, we have a fabulous set of uh, chief marketing officers joining us for the show, talking about the evolving, rapidly evolving, crazy world that chief marketing officers have to do and how how they go about um, managing that and channeling it. I'm Catherine Hayes. I am the co-author of a book called Beyond Advertising, colon, creating value through all customer touch points that I co-authored with Professor Jerry Wind here at the Wharton School. And with me, as always, for the CMO Spotlight, I have Jenny Rooney. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Great. Great, great, great. Jenny Mm. is the Forbes uh, CMO Network editor, Mm -hmm. and she's got some interesting news. So we have a very newsy uh, program today. So Jenny, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, the show, what what you've got lined up for us? Yeah. So... um First of all, thanks for having me. I love love coming and doing oh, the it's show. Our show. It's our show. It's our show. We have so much fun here. Yep. But um, uh, we have two guests uh, on this show. They're the first um, guests to be on the show who come from a, a new list that um, Forbes launched um, back in September called the Forbes CMO Next List. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are 50 CMOs who are redefining the role even as they are living it. We're going to get into that. But in the list, we look at the the, the educational backgrounds of these CMOs, uh, the, ex- the experience that they bring to bear in their current roles and how they're redefining the roles through their mandate, through their ownership um, within organizations um, and and sort of the innovation that they're driving. And so I'm super excited to have these two CMOs on the show because I think they um, perfectly embody um, what CMO Next is all about. And um, and I look forward to having additional CMO Nexters on, on the show as we move forward. Too, Wonderful. So. Thank you. So um, just a, a couple clarifications before we welcome our first guest. So it was a list that was put together. Who decided on the list? So actually, I did. I thought, you know, about a year, over a year and a half ago, um, I started recognizing that there are so many CMOs who are mm-hmm. in industry who are really influential, who are driving change, who are at the forefront of that change. Um, and many of them are associated with the biggest brands in the world, the brands that we all know and love, um, many multinational brands. Um, but it occurred to me that there must necessarily be sort of um, a new um, a new sort of cadre, if you will, a new sort of grouping of CMO who Mm. may not be household names yet. They Mm -hmm. may not be people that we're all familiar with, um, but they're people who are necessarily in the CMO role. So they have to have have ascended to that top marketing spot. Right. Whatever the title. Exactly. Whatever the the CMO like. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, And they might be at either startups, um, you know, um, um, sort of... um, Young but not startup companies, you know, that have been in the market for eight to 10 years, you know, 15 Hmm, years. Um, Some are DTCs, direct to consumer companies. Mm -hmm. Um, Not all of them are. Some are at at legacy brands, but they're sort of bringing a new dynamic into the organization based on previous experience. So, anyway, I, I thought, you know, we need to sort of uncover sort of a new list of CMOs, new faces, new people, talk to them about how they're redefining the role, the work that they're doing at some of these companies that are actually moving in in very different directions, um, have a really unique um, um, way of looking at the customer relationship. And so 
it's that's sort wonderful. of what we unearthed, uh, yeah, and I I'm love, excited about it. Yeah, so. I mean, and and just quickly, I love the concept because, you know, as we know, having you know been on this radio program for and marketing matters before that for the last four years, you know, we tend to kind of go toward the seniors of the senior executives mm-hmm. of established companies and right and for good reason and because there's tons They're to learn incredible. from their career and everything else yeah. but to really kind of uh, again you know as as previously part of the Wharton Future of Advertising program and looking yep. very future focused because we have to be because there's so much change to for you to have done your reporting to find those and sort of unearth them and then celebrate them and help us to learn what it is so anyhow with yeah. all that that's fantastic thank you thank yeah you. it's 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 not about better or worse it's just different it's right. a different look at marketing leadership yep. how it's evolving um, in some of these sort of um, perhaps in some cases little known um, companies um, you were gracious enough to lend your expertise to the list and I, oh shucks and it was <laughs> it truly though yeah. that was really important for me to have that kind of qualitative research going in um, where I think I talked to about 15 industry right. um, you know um, luminaries and people who who watch and follow the industry very closely um, including you, Catherine, and so to have that sort of input from people such as yourself and giving some guidance and sort of some context to this list was super important. It so. was, it's great. There's a people can go on Forbes yeah. and just Google Forbes CMO hashtag next. CMO next. There you go. Yep. So with that, thank you so much. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, we are very pleased to have with us today Marissa Tarleton. She is the Chief Marketing Officer at Retail Me Not. Welcome to the show, Marissa. Thank you. Thanks for having me, and thank you for the honor of being included on this list. I was going to say congratulations. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. So um, why don't we just start with a little bit about Retail Me Not, so very, very briefly. We really kind of want to focus on you and your role, but contextualizing it, um, just tell us in brief what Retail Me Not is all about. Sure. Um, so Retail Me Not is, a, is an online and mobile brand um, that's only about eight years old. And what we do is we connect consumers to savings at every major retailer in the United States um, through both our website and our app. So um, our business model is partnering with major retailers. Um, and we have a very significant mobile audience of active shoppers. And we find them deals. Cool. And so that it's clear what the value proposition is for, for the consumer. Um, how, how do you make your money? So we have about 20 million mobile users to our app and our website every month. And you can imagine how much retailers would love access to those users who are actively shopping and looking for very specific things, especially in a week like this one with Cyber Monday just oh, behind yes. us. Um, so our business model is retailers pay us for access to our audience, either through our website, our, our app, or through a variety of other marketing channels. And we drive not only online traffic to their sites, but also in-store traffic um, through our advertising and our content. So tell us, Marissa, when, when did you join as CMO? I have been here for just over three years. And where were you previously? Give us a little bit of your history, you know, your career experience leading up to this role. Sure. So um, I started my career uh, in advertising in New York, um, both in media and account management. Um, Ogilvy and Mather was one of my first jobs, very traditional brand um, work on the IBM ad campaign. That was actually where I got the bug around e-commerce in the late 90s. And I was smitten at the speed with which it was moving. And I knew I needed to go um, have a marketing job for a major e-commerce brand. So I very quickly went to business school um, and wanted to go get an MBA with an e-commerce and MIS orientation. And at the time, in the late 90s, there weren't very many of those. Right. And so I chose UT Austin, the McComb School of Business. Excellent school. Um, yeah, because yeah. they were one of the few that had that choice. 
Um, so I, I ended up staying in Austin because I graduated in 2002, which you may re recall was a pretty significant bursting yes. of a bubble. Mm -hmm. um, and I was grateful Great to have been offered oh. yeah, a marketing job at Dell. Um, but Dell, one of the biggest e-commerce companies and brands Great. in the world, it was just an amazing opportunity for me um, to join that company. I was there for many, many years in a variety of both e-commerce marketing, product marketing, um, and creative jobs and joined um, Retail Me Not about three years ago, straight out of Dell. So like when you approach, you know, um, when you approached this job and sort of thought about how you wanted to define your role within the organization, you know, talk about sort of what you did deliberately to make sure that, um, you know, you were going to have the impact that you, you felt that role needed to have vis-a-vis um, -vis the goals for the company and brand. Sure. Yeah, it was a really exciting opportunity for me for a few reasons. Um, one, I love opportunities uh, for brands and companies that are in the midst of a transformation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and three years ago in particular, we were in the midst of a transformation from a coupon company that was mostly online to a savings destination that was mostly mobile. And that could mean in-store or online. Um, and so I was really intrigued at being a part of driving that transformation of the brand, but also unleashing the opportunity to go activate this, this huge audience of customers. So I'm a big um, proponent of a strong CRM and data backbone into any marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. So knowing that we had these 20 million monthly mobile users that we were not doing as much with to engage, and activate with, with good data, um, I was very excited about the opportunity to come and, and be a part of that uh, consumer CRM strategy in particular. Um, I think the third piece that was most exciting to me is, you know, our business model is um, going to market and building relationships with retailers. Um, and there's a perception issue that Retail Me Not had with even retailers and brands and CMOs such as myself. We were perceived as an affiliate company and a coupon company, so a big part of what excited me was um, changing the value proposition not only for consumers but for B2B customers as well, which we're still in the middle of, um, but that transformation is what excited me, and it was backed on a mobile brand and a, a brand with a lot of rich data um, that mm. made it um, very tangible for me. And mm. how old is Retail Me Not? We're a little over eight years. Eight years old. Got it. Got it. So you've really been a part of this whole transformation of it. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, we, we went public, um, I think it's now been seven years ago, six years ago. I should know that date exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, we definitely started as mostly a website with access to coupons. Mm -hmm. And over the last four or five years, what we, what we did was created an app and understood that most consumers actually still love to shop in a store. So, yes, e-commerce is growing. Um, however, 90% of consumers still love to go into a store to shop, but they're using their mobile phone to do it. So what we unleashed was this opportunity around location and personalization and data and a large app audience to go influence mobile shoppers to drive consumers in-store. And as you're, as you're reading, I'm sure, uh, like everyone else, a lot of the trends around in-store retail it, were invaluable to many of our retailers who need to drive mm. foot traffic in a very targeted way. And, and that's what we've, what we've capitalized on. And it's been really successful high-growth business for us. And Mark Marketing's at the heart of it. So, um, you know, when you when you think about um, how you guys are positioning your brand against how the retailers, you know, the retailers brand, how do you sort of balance that? Um, and what sort of yeah. like go to market do you have specifically for your own brand? 
Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good question. I think most retailers, um, there's, there's a few opportunities that most retailers have. One, they want to protect their brand and they don't necessarily want a discount to be the first thing associated with sure. their brand. Right. That said, they also understand the data that 80% of consumers are looking for a discount or an offer in some way before they buy. Mm -hmm. So that's where Retail Me Not comes in. We can be the one that sponsors or offers up the discount in a way that the brand doesn't necessarily have to be the one screaming it. We can help be the one to promote it. In addition to that, mm -hmm. most brands are actively looking for new customers. So we, Retail Me Not has the opportunity to provide a new, new source of customer growth for the retailer, both online and in-store. I think the third thing I would say that's a big asset for Retail Me Not versus a retailer or brand is most retailers and brands are pretty far behind in their mobile tech mm -hmm. investment. Um, they don't have their own app, and if they do, it's very hard to get consumers to download it. So right. Retail Me Not already has the app. We already have the location tech. We already have all the content. And most consumers are already actively using something like us, if not us. So we, we, we're just a turnkey solution um, for retailers on the mobile, um, mobile shopping front. And, and in turn, a turnkey solution for consumers as well, for, for individuals. Right. They don't have 75 different apps and trying to juggle them in wherever they're shopping. So it's, that's, that's right. kind of a win-win, and um, you're right in that uh, center of that marketplace. Interesting. That's right. And then think about the data that, that we have on top of all of that, right? So 60% of, of consumers that have our app have opted into telling us where they are. And as part of their onboarding, they provide information to us around what they like. So I can have a conversation with a retail partner around mm. the size of my audience. And I can say, listen, every time they go within a certain um, radius of your store, we can send them a series of messages or offers. It doesn't always have to be a coupon. It might be a free gift. It might be something tied to your loyalty program mm -hmm. to encourage them to make a stop. Um, and I know their affinity based on what they've opted in to provide to me. So our our data is really rich as well as the high intent of their shopping, um, which makes it a really good um, partnership for many retailers. I just wanted to reintroduce Marissa Tarleton. She's the Chief Marketing Officer at Retail Me Not. Um, and just a quick follow-up question on that. I, you know, one of the whole notions of this um, CMO Next effort is to how people like you, chief marketing officers such as yourself, as part of this list of 50 that Jenny put together, um, are thinking differently about this and different purviews too, different areas of responsibility than before. And you talked extensively and understandably about uh, the emphasis on data and leveraging that data both for your own understanding of your customers as well as being able to provide that for your um, for your B2B customers, the retailers themselves. So how do you, how, how is that managed? How has that been evolved? How, what's your role been? Do you have a- What conversations a, do you have in the C-suite? Do you, you know have, what partnerships yeah. are you- Do you have a CIO? How, who are you how does that work um, yeah. as a core part of your business? Yeah, I think it's a great question, and data is very much shared within Retail Me Not. We have a CTO that's responsible for um, connecting data, if you will, because I think like many companies, we, we continue to have an opportunity to stitch data together to understand the single view of the consumer mm -hmm. versus the consumer that's on this device today versus another device tomorrow. So I highly value my partnership with our CTO around um, data stitching 
and looking at data science more broadly. The pieces of it that, that marketing more directly has responsibility for is the engagement and, and one, the requirements of what we need in the data, but then how right. we use the data to go to market. Um, and that's either in our app or in our email or in our push programs or on our website. Um, so it, it, I would think of it as we are the major data user, um, but we are not necessarily the one that builds and connects um, and cleans the data. That's the partnership that I have with our CTO. Mm. But the 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 data that you want to collect, how you collect it, the the customer interface um, that enables you to get it, and refining that is within your purview. That's correct. Got it. Who have you had to hire? Uh, you know, to build out the marketing organization. How big is it? What you know? What kind of skill sets do you have in house? Uh, are you doing anything with external partners? You know, agency partners. Sure, and I think it's it's one example of something that's changed so significantly since I started my career at Ogilvy years and years ago. I won't admit to how many, <laughs> um, but if you if you think about advertising and even marketing talent in the late '90s, the advertising strategies were so significantly one to many, mm-hmm. right? There was one ad and it went to many, and you sort of you know crossed your fingers and hoped it worked, and you had some element of measurement, but I mean it was light at best. And then fast forward 18 years. And we are now in a complete one-to-one world with regards to marketing, at least in my world, Mm -hmm. in mobile marketing. I'm a smaller brand, so I don't necessarily have huge budgets, but almost all of our creative strategy is pretty targeted Mm -hmm. at what that user did last time they were here and what we know about them, right? And so what that means to your, um, not only your talent, but your agency resources is Mm -hmm. totally different. So I have creative in-house. And we build hundreds of thousands of assets a year at this point Mm -hmm. because we're varying them each time based on our one-to-one strategy of how we message to this consumer and then that consumer uniquely. So there's a major creative and content proliferation um, issue that I think many companies that are similar to Retail Me Not are facing. It also means that I'm actually looking more at some data science and MS Mm-hmm. candidates more than I'm looking at MBAs and, yep. and traditional marketing degrees. Yep. Not, so uh, not uncommon. I, I mean, I'm starting to hear, I mean, that's, that's becoming very, yeah. Much more common. I mean, I just find it such a better track to bring those um, types of candidates into our company because I'm looking for a very significant analytics backbone in 90% of the roles that we have within my organization. Wow, Obviously, 90%. Yeah. It's significant. Now keep in mind that, um, my marketing budget, um, we have about 40 people in marketing at Retail Me Not. We're a company of about 450 people, mm-hmm. all located in Austin for the most part. Um, but we are largely digital and mobile in how we spend mm-hmm. our media. So we are able to be highly targeted, highly personalized, highly one-to-one. Um, and and you're, you're constantly looking at data to optimize. Um, and we have real-time data to help us do that from a last-click ROI and an MTA ROI perspective. So mm-hmm. We are probably unique there, but but ninety percent of my team we're looking for a pretty significant data backbone. Yeah, that's and so while we're on the topic of all of the wonderfulness that comes from understanding all of that data, which is personalization and customization, and really um, having that one-to-one relationship, how are you managing the privacy? Uh, issues. We've had some conversation in the past about GDPR in Europe, and that's certainly coming here in California's laws that have been changing. So how how are you addressing those um, concerns, both legally and then just in anticipation of what legally might be happening? 
Yes, I think it's a great question. And we do have offices um, in the UK and France, so we have been um, ahead of this one for a while as Got a global it. company. Um, but uh, one of the really important things is that we only leverage data that a consumer has provided to us at their um, offering. Um, so there's there's no data that we're, we're using other than what a consumer provides. It's and all opt-in. It's all opt-in, and one of the things I'm most mm. fascinated by, and especially in a recent um, research uh, study I did with Forrester, is that most consumers are very happy to provide the information to you, and they actually want you to use it because they're short on time. They don't. They, they would love personalization, and they think that you can do better as a brand. Especially younger people. Especially younger people. They just don't like it when you know it, and they didn't provide it to you. Right. So my advice a, to any marketer yeah. is just ask. And yeah. that's what, what Retail Me Not does in the majority of all of our best practices is we just ask. And then we find partners that are, are also taking this very seriously. Our CRM vendors um, are ahead of the curve with regards to GDPR um, readiness and protection of privacy. So it's something we do take very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be that's going to be something we're going to continue to hear about um, um, and I think the smart companies will get ahead of it, as you are, um, especially those that are so data-centric. And just a, okay. a quick, um, love to hear what the exact reference is for the Forrester study. Is that generally available? Yes, um, and, and I should know, it was a thought leadership paper that we just did with Sucharita Kadali, um, and I would be happy to follow up offline and send you a copy to it. Um, we did a white paper, and then we sent out a video series, and it covered a variety of things around shopping, and personalization was one of the topics. Um, but the, the study, I think, had some really interesting insights around the willingness for consumers, specifically millennials, to offer up information, and then where does that creepy value come in, and, and it comes in when you know it and it wasn't offered they just Perfect. want control yeah i mean that's, that's right. the value but it's also it's just i think it's also nice for professionals to be able to if they're working with their organizations to be able to reference these kinds of you know great research oh efforts. yeah absolutely so yeah. that's why yeah. if people just google probably forester retail me not um shopping privacy study they'll i'm sure they'll <laughs> be able to find it but um, a leadership paper yeah <laughs> there you go Perfect. no thank you that's a that's a great resource um marissa because i don't think we have a whole much more time left but just you know moving forward you know from a kind of a macro view you know what do you think what is the the CMO of tomorrow going to look like and sort of what do you hope to in your role continue to how do you hope to continue to evolve it and what advice would you leave for folks who are you know interested in um, being successful in CMO roles particularly a company like yours moving forward yeah, um, I think it's a good question and a and a big one. <laughs> in two minutes, my, yes. <laughs> in two minutes, um, you know, I think the role of the CMO has already significantly evolved into a much more balanced one between data, creativity, and customer advocacy. I like to hear balance um, instead of complex. <laughs> yeah, That's a more, much more I positive. Mean, Everything is you. complex, and I wouldn't say CMO is any more complex than COO or CFO, mm. frankly, but it is a balance, and so what you need to do is be flexible in the CMO role, and I, I think it's critical that you, you, you have a few different hats, and you need to understand wh which one you need to wear 
dependent on where you are. So today we're in the midst of Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And so the data and performance and right. operating side of my role right now is a significant one. But at the same time, we're strategically planning for 2019 and customer advocacy and strategic thought leadership and inspiration for a whole marketing organization that's tired is also really important. Yeah. Um, and so I think um, the, the well-roundedness of a CMO is significant. And that's probably always been the case. I think the piece that's so much more important now than, than has been in the past is the need for data strength sure. um, and customer advocacy and CRM strength that I don't think was mm. always a, a big part of the resume until the last five years. The passion for the customer that came through the research was palpable with these folks on, the, on this list. So for the CMO yeah, next. absolutely. And the, the passion that comes through by, by knowing them and respecting them and, and delivering uh, value in exchange for provision of information, critical information. That's yeah. wonderful. Okay. They're why we're here. There you go. Yeah. Marissa Tarleton, Chief Marketing Officer at Retail Me Not, uh, is who we've been speaking with. Thank you so much, Marissa. Thank, Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's Thanks, been a, pl a pleasure, and congratulations again on being Thank named you. to the Forbes CMO Next list. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.